some of you maybe know this, others uh, this might uh, be news to you, but uh, the next uh, four Sundays, um, I won't be preaching. Uh, Scott will be preaching the next two. Uh, David will preach the one three weeks from now, and then Scott will preach uh, another one. And that's for a few reasons. In God's providence, uh, the timing of all this kind of worked out uh, really good. But one of the things the Lord has put on our hearts uh, at Sovereign Grace and has really given us training in, in a way that we couldn't have expected, is uh, in the area of biblical counseling. And uh, many people from our church have been able to go down to the ACBC, uh, biblical counseling training uh, in Sioux Falls. Uh, we're going to have another opportunity this spring. It'll be the last opportunity in Sioux Falls. Um, I think we're already taking more than 40 people from our church uh, down there. If, if you have questions or are interested in signing up, you can uh, talk to us about that. But we don't want to sit on this knowledge. We don't want to sit on this training that we've been given. And we feel that God has especially called us at Sovereign Grace to be a biblical counseling church to each other and to our community. Uh, we believe uh, and we understand that for the last 2,000 years of history, counsel came out of the church and out of the Bible. And, and in the last 150 years, the church has handed it over to the secular world, which is different than what it's been. And so sadly, the church has proclaimed with a loud voice the triumph of Christ, the power to save from sins. But then when people would come to the church with their everyday troubles and struggles and addictions, uh, the church has widely uh, been un unable to help in the deepest issues of life. And we believe that uh, God has equipped us with His Word to help in the most difficult uh, situations. So, uh, Laura and I are actually going to fly to uh, the Indianapolis area and Cincinnati area uh, Tuesday. And we're going to visit uh, four different churches that have been had counseling ministries for a long time and see how they're structured, everything from how they're structured legally, how they're structured financially, how they're structured philosophically, how they file their papers away, how they take notes, all the information we can gather uh, from four different uh, ministries that are effective in this, uh, we're going to be doing for the next week. So you can be praying for us as uh, we're away uh, doing that and, and meeting with some really, God has really opened amazing doors for us uh, to meet with different ministries. Um, so you can be praying for us. You can be praying, uh, we'll be praying for uh, Scott and Amy, and just you guys back here. We won't be here next Sunday, but uh, I'll be around when we get back and at church events and stuff, so I'm not going anywhere. And the other thing I'm going to do during those four weeks is try to get my testing done for the ACBC certification. So 
Um, that's a heads up as to what's coming, and, and hopefully uh, you would uh, go to the Lord in prayer to ask Him how He might use us. And I'll just say one more thing. The first church I'm going to is Grace Fellowship in Cincinnati. Uh, the pastor there is Brad Bigney. He wrote the book Gospel Treason that we have gone through on Wednesday nights. Um, and their church, their approach to biblical counseling is what they call the team approach. They say it takes a whole congregation to counsel a person. It takes maybe the official counselor, but it also takes disciplers and friends and brothers and sisters in Christ uh, to fellowship with them throughout the week. It takes a Sunday morning corporate worship service. Uh, all aspects of the church uh, is what they see biblically, how people change and grow. And, and so this involves all of us. And it's exciting. And, uh, and we'll see how the Lord directs us and how this might look uh, in our uh, congregation. So with that said... Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, turn to Luke 10. We're going to look at uh, Luke 10, verses 1 through 24. We're going to kind of take a broad look at this text. And then when we come back five weeks from now, we will kind of take this in smaller chunks. But we're going to look at the breadth of this uh, text. I think from verse 1 to verse 24, there's one main theme, even though in your Bibles it might break it up into four sections. So let's uh, read it together. Let me start my timer here. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and He sent them on ahead of Him, two by two, into every town and place where He Himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go out from, the house, from house to house. Wherever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But in whatever you enter... Or, but whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and you shall say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it'll be more bearable on that day for Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazan. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, shall you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. 
The one who hears uh, you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Then turning to His disciples, He said privately, Blessed are your eyes that they see what they see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Father, I pray that you enlighten our eyes to what Luke is teaching us under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that we would trust you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This last week, starting Monday, uh, Scott, David, and I, and uh, uh, Corey Niles, and uh, Dana Froling went to the uh, Pastors Conference, Bethlehem Pastors Conference in Minneapolis. Uh, one of the sermons we heard uh, was by a guy named H.B. Charles, and he preached on Mark 4, verses 26 through 29, a parable that Jesus uh, spoke. And I want to read it to you as a way of intro into our text. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. The point of this parable that Jesus gave is that it's the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer that scatters seed and the farmer goes to sleep. It's God's seed. It's the Word of God. And the farmer scatters it out and he goes to sleep and he wakes up and he goes to sleep and all by itself, it grows. This is comforting to a pastor who can't make a person grow. Who can't make a heart change. 
The seed grows it all by itself. God works all of Christian ministry. A hundred percent of ministry is God's work. I don't know if you know that, but it's comforting to the one who knows their weakness, to the one who knows that we can't make a heart change. This shouldn't be surprising. It's all over the New Testament. John 6.33, Jesus says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. And in John 15, 4 and 5, Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. This text is about Mission work, ministry work that is applicable to you. In fact, the Bible says that I'm an elder, one who's to equip the saints for the work of ministry, which means you're the ministers. You're the ones who do the ministry. So this morning, I want you to perk your ears up and say, how does ministry work? How does Christian ministry work? In John 3.3, remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus? One of the most brilliant spiritual teachers in Israel. He said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He says to Nicodemus, Unless one is born again, you can't see it. You can't see what it is. You can't glory in the king of the kingdom unless you're born again. And a few verses later, in verse, verses 5 and 6, Jesus answered, said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he's pointing back to Ezekiel 36, which speaks about the new birth in detail. It says, unless he is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So unless you're born again, you can't see it. You can't enter it without being born of God. And then he says, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Christian ministry work is about spiritual life change that's a miracle on the inside of a person's heart. The taste buds of the heart can change supernaturally. Paul calls it a new creation. New desires. New affections. New loves. That's why when a person sincerely gets saved, the God that used to be boring to them, all of a sudden, and the word that used to be boring, and like blah, 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 is life to the person's soul. They didn't just get smarter. A good teacher didn't just come along and teach just right to make this happen. 
In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.12, he says, now we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. That's the gospel. Why were you given the spirit of God? So that you can understand the gospel which means spiritual heart work had to happen inside so you could understand it. Listen and listen to it again. Now we've received this, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. We impart, as ministers of the gospel, this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit. He's saying, I I don't have fancy speech like the orators of the day. But when I teach, something powerful happens by the Spirit. He says, we impart His words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The lost person, the natural person, cannot understand the things of God in a saving way. They sound like foolishness to him. So, as we think about Christian mission and ministry, and you're the minister's, we need to first recognize that Christian ministry is all about the work of God, by the wisdom of God, by the power of God, through God's words and not our words. You know, the last 20 years in America, the majority of pastors' conferences have invited the CEOs and of companies, owners of baseball teams, to come and teach pastors how to grow their ministry, how to do ministry. Now, a business grows when a brilliant human mind is behind it. That's not how the kingdom of God grows. That's not how it works. The church is not a business. You don't grow it like a business. You pray as we're going to see. We don't have confidence in and of ourselves. So, let's look at Luke and see what this text teaches us. And like I said, we're going to have to go quickly this morning. And if you remember back when we were in Luke 9, I just want to read it as way of reminder in verse 1. Here's what we read. He called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor, nor, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. Whatever house you enter, stay there and from where you depart and from there depart. And whenever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now this was a shock as we got here, as we were going through Luke, because before this, 
the 12 were watchers of Christ. They weren't doing anything. Christ was doing it all. And he gives them power and authority and to go out on mission. And they cast out demons. They heal. He didn't allow them to take any extra provision. And he was showing that his ministry is going to be shared with the twelve. And now it's shared with 72 believers in Christ that aren't the twelve. Which points to us that are also going to be sent out by this God into this world. So let's read our text as we see a lot of similarities. Luke 10.1 And the first point in your notes, the Lord appoints and sends His ministers. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. I just want to stop here. This is the Lord's ministry. He appoints those whom He's sending out and He sent them on ahead of Him two by two into every town and place where He Himself was about to go. Uh, You might say, why did He send them out two by two? Uh, It could be the wisdom we find in Ecclesiastes 4.9. Two are better than one. They because they have a good reward for their toil, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. Woe to him who is alone when he falls and does not have another to lift him up. It could be because the principle throughout the whole New Testament is, is you can't grow and be effective by yourself. You need to be in the body of Christ if you're going to grow in a healthy way as a Christian and a minister on your own is unfounded in the Scriptures. But certainly, in a Jewish culture, all Jews understood Deuteronomy 19.15. This says, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. These are witnesses of the kingdom of God that has come near. They're proclaiming the kingdom of God and He sends them out two by two. And He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. What does it mean the harvest is plentiful? Well, I don't know if I've been decisive. Commentaries have been divided. But the point's the same. Sometimes in the New Testament, when the harvest is talked about, it's the harvest uh, of the ungodly that are going to be destroyed. The harvest is ripe for judgment. The grapes are going to be gathered in so the winepress of the wrath of God can be tread. Uh, Joel 3.12 speaks like this. Uh, In Matthew 13.30, speaking of the wheat and the tares, let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, bind them into bundles to be burned, and gather the wheat into my barn. So Jesus is either seeing a mass of humanity that's ripe for destruction 
and there's very few to workers to gather them out of that destruction. Or in a positive sense, there's those out there to be gathered in, to be saved. Either way, the point is, there's people to be saved from the wrath of God. And i got to say, the highlight of our text is on judgment. And maybe I would lean more towards the first, but either way, the point is the same. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. And then here's what he says, Therefore, I would expect him to say, Go! He says, Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. As we look out at this broken world who are spiritually dead and devastated and broken and headed headed for judgment day with all their sins on their head and are going to face a holy God. Let us look out with Jesus' eyes with compassion. Let us not have self-confidence, but let us do the thing that we must always first do. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. When you look at this world, are you praying for goers, for missionaries, for church members to reach out to their co-workers and their neighbors? Do you have the same compassion Christ has? Do you realize the stakes? We must pray. If we don't pray first and we start into action, we don't understand the Lord's work. We don't understand ministry. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. We have no power. We have no great ideas apart from God's ideas. What can I do? I can pray for laborers. Second, the Lord empowers and protects His ministers. Look at what He says in verse 3. Go your way. So to the same group He just said pray, now He sends them. So He doesn't even have like the prayers and the goers. You remember the demoniac? When he cast the demon out of him, he says, go into your village. He wanted to follow Jesus. He says, no, go tell him what I've done for you. And he became a teller that day. God does not require professional training for you to tell your neighbors or coworkers what God has done for you in Christ. Yes, you can learn. Less, yes, you can become a better teacher. But if God can use the demoniac the moment after he's saved, he can use you and you ought to pray and you ought to go. He says, behold, I am sending you. Don't even think like, oh, I'm, I'm going. If you're going, he's sending you. He's done the work in your heart to go. He's sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. The Lord empowers and protects His ministers. Here's the thing. Lambs are helpless 
out in the wilderness when there's wolves. Lambs are only as safe as their shepherd is strong and good. Period. Here's what Christian ministry is like. You're hopeless. It's dangerous. And I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. And your only power and your only protection is going to come from the shepherd that sends his flock out into the pasture, out into the world. You can tell me all day long about all your worries and all your weakness, and I just say, amen, yes, you're weaker than you know. You have less power than you know. You have less courage than you know. But when God is sending you out, the shepherd goes with you. It's not about you, and it's not about me. Christian ministry is not about us. Otherwise, it would be glory be to us. It's humbling. It's humbling to know how the Lord works. In 1 Peter 4.10, he speaks to those who are going to share God's word. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. If you're going to be a speaker, don't speak your words, speak God's words. Be a biblical counselor. Counsel God's words. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. There's not one ounce of the ministry that the Lord's given me to do or the Lord's given you to do that ought to cause someone to give glory or praise to me. If you serve, serve in the strength that God supplies. Why? In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Third, the Lord provides for His ministers. He says, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace, peace to this house. If there's a son of peace there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking, what they provide for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and, re and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Now in Jesus's day, there was many false teachers. They would go from town to town, claim to be teaching the word of God. And they would go from house to house until they got the best meal, the best accommodations. And so as false teachers, they were figuring out how to fleece the flock of God. And Jesus says, you're not going to be like them. If you're received in, you're going to eat what they give you. You don't do ministry for what ministry can provide for you. The point is, you're going to have to trust me for provision. You're going to have to trust what I supply for you. 
They're in basic training with Jesus. And the reason why I know that is because in Luke 22, verse 35, here's what Jesus says to them. When I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it. And likewise, a knapsack. Let let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled uh, in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. He said to them, it is enough. And we know that the swords that he told them to buy were not to advance the kingdom of heaven because a couple of verses later, Peter pulls out his sword and cuts off the ear of the authorities that were coming to arrest Jesus. And Jesus said, put it away. But he allowed Peter to have a sword with. He told him to grab a sword. What he taught him in basic training is, all your provision comes from me. And right now, it's going to come in supernatural, miraculous ways. There's going to be a day where you're going to have to remember that all your provisions come from me, but it might come by you working and putting money in a knapsack and realize I gave you that money. And it might mean that you're careful not to get robbed on the road and not to advance the kingdom of God with a sword, but to, you know, when when they came after Paul to kill him, he fled out a window. And so there's this idea that right now they're in basic training. He wants to show them Christian ministry is all by my provision. It's going to be in the future too. But he's showing them in the most extreme sense here in chapter 10. It's what Paul knew in Philippians 4.19 when he says, My God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Christian ministry is done believing and knowing that God will provide all that we need. He will provide all that you need to fulfill the ministry He's given you, which means He'll even provide the grace to maybe die for your faith all the way up to then. It doesn't mean He gets you out of every difficult circumstance, keeps you from persecution or suffering, but the Lord has given you a ministry and the Lord says, I will give you protection and power that you may fulfill your ministry. I'll provide for your needs. Which means when you sit there and say, Oh, I lack this and I lack that. And I, you got to remember, what are you doing? Are you starting a business? Are you praying to the Lord of the harvest that his power might be through your ministry? Four, point four in your notes the Lord speaks through his word, speaks his word through his ministers. The message we have is from him. Look at verse 9. He says, Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. Now, I believe that the miraculous gifts were given 
all throughout biblical history to God's prophets to authenticate his word. God still does miracles today. He can do anything he wants to do. But he gave the gift of miracles at special epochs throughout history to authenticate the message. So they're going to preach the kingdom of God and they heal everybody. Nobody's doing that today. There is no healer that can heal everyone. And if there is, let's get them running through our hospitals. God can heal anybody. But here, God is authenticating His ministers. They healed everyone and cast out all the demons, authenticating the message of the kingdom of God. Verse 10, he says, Whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it'll be more bearable on that day for Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Same to uh, Chorazin um, and Bethsaida and Capernaum. You know, Jesus did his first miracles in Capernaum. And likely the people in Capernaum thought, this town is going to be lifted up above every other town. Here's where Jesus' ministry really began. His, his miraculous uh, ministry was in abundance there. He says, don't think, Capernaum, you will be exalted to heaven in verse 15. You shall be brought down to Hades. The message of the kingdom of God is twofold. The gospel, the very word gospel means good news, is a declaration of good news to those who are under a death sentence if they'll receive it. The Bible teaches that all men are under sin. Romans 2.4, Paul says, Do you presume upon the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So Paul's saying there's people in the world that have been forgetting God, rejecting God, and they concluded in their mind, if there is a God, He surely knows what I'm doing, and He's not upset. Because if He was upset, my life would not keep going along as it is. And Paul's saying, this is God's mercy and kindness. He's giving patience for people to repent and turn to God. Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But because of your hard and penitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. The Christian message, the gospel is always this. There is a day coming and if you don't turn to Christ, your only hope of salvation before that day, every time you sin, you're storing up more wrath for that day. Don't think it's not coming because right now God's being kind to you and He's giving you an opportunity to repent. So, good news coming to people that have the worst news you can ever imagine. You're going to face God in your sin. There's no way to make the gospel like a teddy bear. It's not fluffy. This ministry is when they reject you, go into the streets publicly 
wipe the dust off your feet as judgment against them. Remind them that the kingdom of God has come close to you. This is mercy. You're telling them the truth. You're really rejecting the king that's about to come into your town and I'm warning you ahead of time? You can't preach the gospel, the good news, if they don't know the bad news. When I was in Africa and I got to share the gospel uh, with Muslims, I would start by saying, God has sent me here to preach good news to you, to which I saw smiles. And I said, but in order to tell you the good news, I got to tell you the bad news. They agreed with me that God was a holy God. They argued with me whether or not they were sinful, but finally admitted they were. Then I said, that's bad news. Because there is no provision to take away your sin. And if God is a good judge, He is holy, you have no hope. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about God's mercy for you. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. That's good news. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That's bad news. So, if you thought Christian ministry was bringing a teddy bear to people who are crying, it's not. It's hard. It's hard. But because unless there's repentance and brokenness and such lostness and a desperate fear of what their sin deserves, they will never truly receive Christ. They'll cling to Him forever if they know their predicament. So the message is you receive it, there's life. You reject it, there's judgment. It's not our message. We don't get to mess with it. We don't get to soften it up. We don't get to make it harder. We teach as the Lord has given us the Gospel. We tell people of His tenderness. And then we warn them of if they reject God's kindness and patience and mercy in His Son, you'll face the Son. He's the Lord of the harvest either way. Whether He takes His up or he treads the winepress of the wrath of God. He is the Lord of the harvest. All right. Five, the Lord receives the rejection or acceptance. See, we can feel sorry for ourselves as ministers of God's word, as though this is just personal attack against us. But look at verse 16. The one who hears you hears me. The one who rejects you rejects me. The one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Once again, this is his ministry. If it's accepted, they're accepting God. If they reject it, they're rejecting God. In John 7, 6, Jesus said to them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I already testify about it, that its works are evil. In John 15, 18, he says, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. For if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 
Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. You can't throw a pity party as though I'm doing this thing on my own and they're rejecting me. As you go, as the Lord's servant and preach good news and for those who reject it, impending judgment, as you do that, and as I do that, we're not going to make friends with everyone, even though our message is always preached with love and compassion. There's a way to preach the gospel and be rejected because you're an idiot and you're a jerk. And you see a lot of these people with signs. They're not broken. They're angry. It's not how we preach the gospel. We preach the compassion of God, the mercy of God in Christ, and we tell them the truth about the future. In verse 16, or verse 17, and here's where we get the main point of the text, I think. The 72 returned with joy. They had joy in this Christian ministry. Even though they had rejection, they had success, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. He said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, commentators are mixed at what that means. Some think Jesus is saying, I saw Satan before the world began fall like lightning from heaven. Don't get excited over the fact that you just cast out demons. Don't rejoice in that. Or the tense of this verb is really, he, I was seeing Satan fall, which means as you were out doing the ministry, casting out the demons, I was watching the Satan fall like lightning. As you preached my gospel and my power, he was watching the kingdom of this present darkness fall. The demons. Either way, the point is the same. He says, Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Now think for a minute. God made the angels, the fallen angels, glorious. And they became demonic when they took what God has given them, became proud in it, and wanted to glorify themselves rather than God. Right? So now, God gives a ministry to a group of people that has power over the most powerful beings in the world. What's going to be the temptation? They do the same thing the demons do. Look at this. We're so happy. We had so much power. Wham! We spoke. Demons came out. This is amazing. He says, don't rejoice in that. Don't do that. Don't rejoice in ministry success that way. If God powerfully saves thousands, 
through your preaching, don't rejoice in the fact that it was you and this power that came, because real power comes when a person gets saved. Don't rejoice in that. It was shared power. It wasn't your power. It was given to you as a gift. He says, nevertheless, don't rejoice in this, but that the, are, but the, but rejoice in that your names are written in heaven. Now, why were your names written in heaven? When was that book written? Revelation 21.27 says, but nothing unclean will ever enter it. This is the new Jerusalem. This is heaven. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does, does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Revelation 13.8, and all who dwell on earth will worship the beast Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the Lamb who was slain. There was a book written before you were ever created. It has names in it. The reason why you don't get proud in Christian ministry is He appoints the goers. He overcomes sovereignly fallen hearts that would never choose Him First, if you don't understand the sovereignty of God ministry, you'll steal glory from God all day long. You'll be impressed with the wisdom of your scheme and how you do it. Revelation 17.8 says the same thing. The beast that you saw was and is and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast. So, if you're a Christian and you see Jesus as glorious and you want to be one of His disciples and you want to be one of His goers, God has supernaturally done a work you could have never done for yourself. Salvation is of the Lord. Christian ministry is of the Lord. And only two times in the Bible do we read the words, Jesus rejoiced. In verse 21, in that same hour, He rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank You, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that You've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. God opens eyes according to his gracious will. He's the one that reveals these things. And Jesus rejoices that the proud and the arrogant, the Father's hidden them from. But the little children, the unlikely, those without all the skills and giftedness, he showed it to, and Jesus says, you're good. And if where Jesus rejoices, you say, that's not fair. I just want to say, I understand the tension. I do. But I trust that the Lord is good. I trust his gracious will. I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy, compassion on whom I'll have 
compassion. He's God. All as we deserve is destruction. But today, God's given you the grace to hear His gospel. The kingdom of God has come near to you. God says, if you'll receive my son, Jesus, that went to the cross to carry your sin, it's kind of like this. Here's God, here's you. You've rebelled against God, therefore God's righteous judgment and anger towards sin and rebellion is against you. Because He's good. He's a good judge. God in His love has put, brought down from heaven propitiation. That's a word that means wrath absorber. He stood one between you and Himself that can extinguish all of God's wrath because He bore your sin and He really died under the wrath of God so that you can be united to God. You can have your sins taken away. There's only two types of people in the world. Those who hear this news and say, that's my only hope, I need Jesus. And those who say, that's folly, that's silly, I don't want it. And my prayer is, is come to Him. Come to Him. And when you do ministry, when you have that family member that isn't saved yet, that you've prayed for for 25 years, why would you lose hope? You're not the one that can make it happen. We scatter His seed. He makes it grow. We share the Word of God, the love and mercy of God in Christ, and the judgment that will come for those who reject it, waiting for it to grow in a way we don't even understand how. Father, let us be people who put no hope in and of our own flesh. Let us rely and do ministry totally in your power, through your word, through your provision, through your protection. Let us rejoice that you sought to do good for us before the world began. And our fellowship with you is secure forever. Thank you for that, Lord. Amen.